Welcome to It's Time on CSN International, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode, we'll be listening to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of Mark. Each of the four Gospels has a different approach and different audience targeted by the Holy Spirit. The book of Mark is a fast-paced, action-packed tome focused on Christ's role as a servant. By studying the examples of Christ in the book of Mark, we can learn a great deal about what our life as Christians should look like and the heart of Christ. With our study on Mark, here's Pastor Mike. Turn with me over to the book of Mark, chapter 2. Mark, chapter 2. And we're going through the book of Mark, looking at the life of Jesus. Mark, from what we can tell, was probably a small boy when he first-hand witnessed most of what he saw uh, concerning the life of Jesus. We know that only John and Matthew were only the two disciples of the Gospels that actually walked with Jesus at the time. We know that Luke was a doctor that came along afterwards and wrote an accurate account of the life of Jesus. And then Mark is kind of an interesting picture because uh, there's only one story in the book of Mark that doesn't appear in the other ones, I mean in particular, concerning uh, perhaps his age, and that was when Jesus was on the mount praying and the Roman guards came to arrest Jesus, Mark's gospel uh, records a little boy that was captured by the Roman guards and he wiggled out of his coat and just left the Roman guard hanging onto his coat and the little boy ran off. Most people believe that little boy was Mark. So it's kind of interesting here, the picture that we have. But Mark records for us many interesting things about the life of Christ. And so we're going to go into that today. Uh, again, Mark chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 18. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as we go to your word. May you enlighten our eyes. May you encourage us. Lord, may you feed our hungry souls, God. We need to be touched by your spirit. And so now we just ask you that you would touch us and you would refresh us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it tells us here, and the disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. Now, this is interesting just in the very beginning of this because it says the disciples of of John and the Pharisees were fasting. There were days uh, throughout the Hebrew year in which they would recognize certain new moons and Sabbath and feast days. And evidently, this was one of the feast days. And noteworthy that the disciples of Jesus were not observing this particular feast. And so it says, they came to Jesus and said to him, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, there's always an interesting thing when somebody asks you a question. Sometimes people really want to know. Sometimes they want to find fault. So they'll ask a question like, like, well, why are you doing that? You know, or, you know, um, Maybe you've actually had somebody walk up to you and say, what are you doing? You know, it's not to really find out what you're doing. They're trying to find fault in what you're doing. Well, I believe probably this is, was more the case than not because, again, it says that they were trying to find what was wrong with them. And so it says, why do, your, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth into an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is even made worse. 
And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, else the new wine bursts the wineskins, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Now Jesus here, I believe, is, is, is giving a pretty good illustration of the difference between the old and the new. And I think it's not by accident, and I think it's directly tied in to what was earlier stated when they were asking, why is it that the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but Jesus, your disciples don't? Well, again, as you would look at this, you find that he's speaking here concerning the new wine and the old wineskin, or the new piece of cloth in the old piece of cloth. You know, it, it doesn't work, does it? When, when the new cloth that's sewn in as a patch shrinks, it pulls away the stitches and everything else. And it's interesting to me, friends, what makes the difference, uh, what happens as an example with old fabric and new fabric, or old leather and new leather. You know what it is? It dries out. And if you've ever been around um, anything that's been really dried out, you know how brittle and how hard it is. And you know, I believe a lot of times without the oil of the Holy Spirit in our life, and oftentimes, interestingly enough, the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as oil. The Holy Spirit oils up your heart and keeps you from getting dried out and inflexible. You know, I, again, we find a lot of times that one of the greatest things the Bible says of all the gifts of the Spirit that we find mentioned there in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is we find in chapter 13, the greatest of these is love. And you know what love means sometimes? Love means loving the person in spite of the crazy and goofy things that they're doing, isn't it? Now, moms and dads, you know this principle very well by living with your kids, don't you? You know your kids do all kinds of weird things and learn to color your freshly painted walls and, and uh, decide to you know, put mud all over your hudcaps. They're, they're real creative in what they do. And they're, they're artists when they're that age, of course. And, and you get upset with them sometimes, but you don't dismiss the kid because of what they do wrong. And friends, again, that is part of what love is. I think it's noteworthy that Paul writing to the church at Corinth in all the crazy things that they were doing. And friends, they were doing a lot of really weird stuff. They had changed communion service into basically a gluttonous wild party. Paul says, don't you have homes that you can do this stuff in? What are you coming together for and doing this? When you come together, it's for your worse, not for your better. Now, again, it's interesting because a lot of times people quote from the book of Corinthians as if the church at Corinth had good doctrine, like baptizing for the dead. They were doing a lot of weird stuff. They weren't just baptizing for the dead. They had people in immorality and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And Paul says, what are you doing this for? Well, again, as you would look at this, you have to, we all have to realize our hearts need to be soft and sensitive towards God, or we will miss opportunities in which God wants us to reach out to people. They came, I believe, looking for fault in Jesus. Why don't your disciples fast? They're lesser because they're not doing this. And I think it's interesting. The world, friends, will always come to you trying to find fault with you. Isn't that true? Do you know why they do that? I know a lot of us want to know why. Because it seems that we're a target from everything, from people we work with, to relatives, to friends, to even our own siblings and and family members. I, I believe, friends, again, it's the same reason it was with Jesus. If they can discount you, they can discount your message. And by discounting the message of love and Christ's change and power in your life, that establishes a standard that they have trouble relating with. You see, 
In other words, they think they're probably pretty good in themselves until you come along. And you know what? The change in your life that God has brought is obvious to everyone around you. I am pretty convinced a lot of times that we're the last ones sometimes to know. Well, I don't see God doing very much in my life. People around you see, wow, this person is a completely different person than they used to be. Some people say, well, I still think they got a lot of rough edges. Well, they probably do. But imagine if Christ wasn't in their life, how rough those edges would be. So God does and has performed a work in our lives. It is obvious to people around you. It is obvious to the people you work with. But you know what the problem is? People a lot of times can't handle that. Because you establish a standard that isn't of yourself, but is of God. And so because of that, the natural response then is to tear the standard down, which is you in their eyes. And so to find something wrong with you, so therefore you don't have to recognize what God has done in the person's life. The Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. And so again, by simply observing a person in Christ Jesus, you can tell whether that person is on fire for the Lord and doing something, or riding on somebody else's coattails, or not even a Christian at all. Now again, we've talked about this before. A tree is known by its fruit. And you know an apple tree because it's got apples on it. You know an orange tree because it's got oranges on it. Well, again, uh, you want to be sure that the fruit in your life is obvious to others. And it is as you live your life. Well, again, there's other people. I, I often think about the stolen fruit thing where they try to make everybody think there's something they're not. You know, uh, and, and, and kind of maybe go out there and try to tape apples on an orange tree or something like that. Or on, you know, on a Russian olive tree. That is a very nasty tree, by the way. You know, the government used to pay people, I understand this during the WPA, during the 30s, to plant Russian olives in Idaho. I guess the government really hated us here um, to do that. Now, Russian olives, they look pretty, but they have thorns about that long on them. And you decide you're going to bulldoze them down? Oh, your car tires, your tractor tires love Russian olives tree branches. Um, you, you, I remember we cleared a field one time. We had like 50 punctures. And the guy just says, I can't fix it. Put a new tube in it. I mean, it's just there was just too many in there. But the point is, is this. The fruit is known. And you can't tape fruit on something else and try to pass it off. Friends, you're known by what you do. And people see that in your life. And you're an inspiration to many people. You know, the Bible says, to many were the fragrance of life and to others were the stench of death. That's why you get two different reactions with people usually. Some people want to say, hey, tell me more about what's going on in your life. And others will go, whoa, get away from me. They try to find fault in what you're doing. They can discount the message. I believe this is why Jesus tied in the second part of what he was saying here. And if you'll notice, it's all in red in your Bible. It's words that Jesus said, and he said them together concerning the new wine and the old wineskins. Friends, listen, uh, God wants to do something brand new. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. You can't put the new life of Christ in an old sinful lifestyle. It just doesn't work. You need to be born again. God puts that new spirit in us, that comes from Him. It isn't anything that you or me manufactured. It's simply, simply that God does because He loves us. Now, I, friends, I don't know how God exactly does that, but He does. The Bible says, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And the things that we used to do to sustain us, to make us feel good, to give us a reason to live when we lived in the world, no longer will feed you because you're a new creature now in Christ. Just like a dog can eat things you can't eat. 
Well, again, you, you can't go back and eat what you used to eat as a Christian now to sustain your being as this new creature. In other words, you can't go back to the party life. You can't go back. And you know what? I know Christians that have tried to do that. And you know what I found out? For myself and my own life and from others, it doesn't work, does it? You know, you, you got the Holy Spirit inside of you. No matter what you're trying to do, you're going out there trying to... And the Holy Spirit's going, you're not having a good time. You're not having a good time. And you're going, leave me alone. I'm trying to have a good time here. And God says, nope. You know that verse that says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, not even into the age? Friends, I believe that. That's what's called conviction. And that conviction is because God loves you. He's saying, listen, I'm warning you, I'm trying to keep you from doing a terrible, irre- terrible mistake in your life. Friends, now many times the mistakes we make in our life can be very permanent in our rebellion to God. And that's why I believe, again, this is what I believe, again, talking about the new wine and the old wineskin. The new wine is the new life of Christ that comes into our life. Or you might say the new patch. Uh, uh, you can't patch up an old garment. You need a whole new garment. That's why people say, well, you know, I, I, you know, I kind of like my old sinful lifestyle. You know, I kind of like sinning a little bit. But I kind of like this, you know, going to church and Jesus fire insurance company thing. You know, I like that. So I just kind of want to sow the new patch into my old sinful life. Well, friends, when you wash it, what happens? It just gets all torn up, don't it? See, God wants to put something brand new in you. See, we can't live that old way anymore. The same way it is with the wine. You see, the wine, when it begins to ferment, it creates the bubbles. And the bubbles are what burst the old, dried-out wineskin. That's why Jesus said you can't put new wine in old wineskins because there's no elasticity in the, in, the, in, the, in the pouch anymore. And so, therefore, it immediately bursts, and what was inside is lost. So God wants to do something new in us. Now, what does God do? Well, I have generally found that you take, you know, if you've ever had old leather boots... I don't know if anybody's ever had any of those, but I, I got a pair of those. I wore them yesterday, and uh, my feet are still sore. But um, it's the only way you can go out in the field without getting those little cheat grasses in your socks. Aren't those a nasty thing? Uh, and, 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 you know, I think we li- See, we, we, we've been conditioned by living here. You know, we didn't have this problem when I lived in Southern California. But in, in Idaho here, we have cheat grass. And you, have you ever noticed when you got one poking you or careful of them poking you, and then you go into denial? You know, it'll be all right. It won't keep hurting. And, and, we, and, and it gets worse and worse until finally, it doesn't matter. You will set down on the hottest rock and you will take your socks off and pick them little gizzies out of there so they don't continue to torture you. Well, you know, I, I, we look at this as well. In our, in our whole existence as humans, as we live our lives in Christ, God has got a purpose for us. And as God continues to restore us and bless us and to heal us, and you might even say even on this walk we're on in our lives, God wants us to walk in his ways so that he can bless us. You know, again, this new wine. Well, you can take and put on those boots. And um, I noticed that they were all cracked open. It's because I haven't put any oil or polish on them or anything because they're just work boots. And I noticed how they crack open. That old leather dries out. And I think, you know, God has looking at it and go, man, that's how our hearts can get without your oil of your Holy Spirit. But you know what I found? You don't just take oil and go, okay, they're fine. You know what they say? You got to rub the oil in. 
Now, that, that, that's what you might call a Holy Ghost massage. Now, now, God wants to do that. Now, I think a lot of times the Holy Ghost massage comes in many strange, different places. And I think sometimes it may very well be during the worship service on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. Holy Ghost massage might be where the Lord begins to speak to you as you hear the Word of God being read or at your home in your private study and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you. You might be driving down the road in your car and listening to a Christian song on the radio or on a CD or something or, or perhaps listening to a, a, a Bible teaching program on the radio. God begins to massage your heart and work that oil in. See, oil is good, but unless it goes in, it doesn't soften anything up. And the one thing we have to be, I think, mindful of is as a new wineskin to not allow ourselves to get dried out by the cares of this life. Friends, they'll dry out. Well, I'll tell you, the world likes to beat us up, doesn't it? Well, as you look at this here, they were trying to find fault with Jesus. Why don't your disciples pray or fast? And Jesus said, look, the bridegroom is with them. There'll be a time in which they will fast. And friends, fasting is, is an interesting thing. Fasting does not obligate God. A lot of people say, well, you know what? This is one more of the formulas. A lot of people don't really want a relationship with God. They just want to know the formula. Eeny, beeny, chilly, beeny, you know, kind of round, round. You know, we want a thing where you go, ding, 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 pop goes God, you know, kind of thing, you know? We just want the formula. I don't need to know God. Just tell me how to turn the crank, you know? And I'm serious. That's what religion is. Religion is how to turn the crank. Not having a relationship with God. But how to turn the crank. I listen, friends, I don't want to learn how to, I want to know God. See, and in knowing God, the, the formulas or the things that we've seen God do simply prove His power and His promises in a person's life. But it's not the formula. People focus sometimes on the wrong things. And they go, well, God, now if I do this, then you're obligated to do that. And so you find these formulas. Well, in order to get what you want, you blab it and you grab it. You know, positive confession, you know, you visualize it, stick pictures of it on your refrigerator. And every time you walk by, that's mine. That's mine. As you look at the picture hanging there on your wall or whatever you placed it on. It's a formula. Friends, listen, your relationship with God is not mechanical. It's a loving, heartfelt relationship where Jesus came and died for you. Now that tells you a lot about love. That, does that sound mechanical? Not at all. It's a very warm, deep, heartfelt relationship with God. And, and friends, our Christianity can turn into mechanics if we don't allow the love of God to soften our hearts and keep us in that place. You see, the, the children of Israel had dried out. What caused the drying out? Well, if you just listen to them talk to Jesus, it gives you a pretty good idea what it was. They'd go along and they'd look at Jesus and they'd say, well, our father Abraham. Oh, well, what about you? See, they were always referencing their spirituality back to somebody else rather than themselves. And this is what made the ministry of John the Baptist so unique because John the Baptist came along and said, listen, Israel, for you to come back to God, you need to take a ceremonial washing. You see, in order to convert to Judaism, you would renounce the pagan deities, the Baals and the asterisks and all that kind of worship. You would take a ceremonial washing and embrace Yahweh. That's the way you became, you might say, a Jew or somebody that followed Judaism. John the Baptist comes to the Israel nation. To the Jews saying, you need to take a ceremonial washing. What? We're already children of Abraham. He's going, no, you need to get back right with God again. And so when Jesus then 
came on the scene. He came not to give us formulas, but to give us his love. Friends, again, Jesus wants to do something in your life, not based upon a mechanical response, but rather based upon a love relationship. Many times people say, well, if I fast, that obligates God to do what I want him to do. Now, friends, again, you have a Father in Heaven who loves you. And, and always remember that. you got a God that doesn't have a mechanical relationship. You may have a mechanical relationship with Him. Or you might find yourself sometimes slipping into that. And that's what, one of the reasons why I believe, once again, the massaging of the Lord in our lives, that oil, keeps us from getting a mechanical. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Thank you, God. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Thank you, God. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Have you ever been around that in your life? Where it's almost... A mechanical response? God, again, looks back and says, look, fasting simply demonstrates, Lord, I am yielding my member to you, my body to you. Choosing you more than food, choosing you more than anything. God, I want you to have your way in this situation. Now, as a loving father, friends, God knows what's best for you. We always don't know what's best for us. And, 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 and friends, I know this to be the case. We all know that we've made mistakes. We've, we've bought things. We've gone places. We've done things where we go, man, I just, I, I knew that was a stupid thing to do and I did it anyway. And we, we understand that. And God says, listen, I got something bigger, better, greater for you. And oftentimes we'll say, but God, I demand this. I prayed and, and, and if you don't answer my prayer, I, I'm going to pick up my marbles and go find me another God. And there's a lot of people sometimes that are like that. But you remember that because God loves you, He's not going to give you something that's going to hurt you or destroy you. Even if you think you followed all the mechanical ways of getting it. God wants to intervene and bless you in your life. Now, He says, The days will come, verse 20 again, when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Now again, and then immediately he goes into that explanation. No one puts new wine into old wineskins or sews a new piece of cloth onto a, a, onto a hole on an old garment. You need a brand new one. Friends, again, that's one of the things that God's endeavoring to do in all of our lives, is to give us that brand new heart. You must be born again. You can't put that new power in an old wineskin. That's Pastor Mike Kessler on It's Time. If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to inform you that we offer It's Time for free as a podcast download in the iTunes store. If you'd like a hard copy that you can keep and share, give us a call at 800-357-4226, and the operator can help you with that. Don't forget, It's Time to Grow. Pastor Mike's book on the Christian walk is also available completely free for you by calling that toll-free number I just mentioned. Tune in next time. For more, it's time.